Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We're bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. Today is Tuesday, May 26, 2020. America's safety net is tattered. A multi-billion dollar emergency program launched by Congress to help feed millions of hungry children is not working quickly enough. Only 15% of eligible children have received benefits. The program was put into place to fill the gap left by school closings. The National School Lunch Program serves food to 14.7 million kids. Meanwhile, about a dozen states in Washington, D.C. are seeing increasing numbers of those with COVID-19, even though the overall trajectory is heading downwards. Hard-hit states like New York and New Jersey are reporting steep declines. Today, we'll delve into Congress and what they're up to. We begin with Catherine Tully McManus, who discusses the battle over the House's plan to vote by proxy for the first time this week. The chamber was expected to tread new ground this week by using proxy voting on the floor for the first time in history. That means lawmakers unable or unwilling to travel to the Capitol due to coronavirus pandemic will still be able to cast their vote. But House Republicans are suing Nancy Pelosi in an attempt to stop the use of proxy voting. More than 40 House members have already sent letters to the House clerk designating a colleague to serve as their proxy, and more continued to flow into the House clerk's website on Tuesday. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy is leading the court filing, backed by 20 Republican lawmakers and a handful of constituents from different states. The lawsuit takes aim not only at Speaker Pelosi, but also at two nonpartisan officials tasked with implementing the proxy voting system. The House Sergeant-at-Arms, Paul D. Irving, and the House Clerk, Cheryl L. Johnson. Republican Whip Steve Scalise urged his conference on Tuesday evening to come to Washington for this week's votes and to not utilize the proxy voting system approved by the House. That could be a signal that the court filing may not immediately halt proxy voting this week. If a member is unable to travel to D.C., Scalise told lawmakers in his conference, they should submit their vote positions to the congressional record rather than using what he called, quote, the Democrats' proxy voting scheme. I haven't seen any Republicans submit a proxy voting designation, but that makes sense with their strong opposition to the proposal. Local lawmakers are racking up proxy designations. Virginia's Don Beyer and Maryland's Jamie Roskin will each cast a handful of votes for their colleagues this week, if all goes to plan. Under the temporary rules change that allows for proxy voting, any one member can only serve as a proxy for up to 10 of their colleagues. The debut of proxy voting could come Wednesday, when the House takes up the Senate-amended Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act reauthorization, which is focused on the surveillance powers of the U.S. government. Now to this podcast co-host, Sean Zeller, who will explain how there just may be bipartisan support to spend more money to help the unemployed. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has declared the $3 trillion coronavirus relief measure the House passed on May 15th a non-starter. But that doesn't mean Congress is done spending. There is one element of the House bill that may have legs and could form the bulwark of Congress's efforts to stem unemployment now afflicting nearly 15% of the workforce. The proposal by Representative Stephanie Murphy would expand a program Congress created in the roughly $2 trillion relief measure it passed in March 
to provide tax credits to employers who keep workers on their payrolls. Under that law, the CARES Act, the Employee Retention Credit offers companies hard hit by lockdown policies who keep their workers a modest hand, $5,000 per worker. Murphy, a blue dog, that is a moderate Democrat from Florida, would increase that to $45,000. Her bill would also make it easier for large companies to qualify for the benefit and for companies who've taken relatively modest hits from the economic downturn. And her bill would make state and local governments eligible for the aid as well. Most notably, the measure has Republican support. John Katko of New York and Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania are original co-sponsors. And Peter King of New York, Jamie Herrera-Butler of Washington, Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, and John Curtis of Utah have since signed on. Two of the existing economic rescue programs are set to expire this summer. The Paycheck Protection Program of Forgivable Loans for Small Businesses and the Pandemic Unemployment Emergency Compensation Program, which provides an extra $600 a week to people out of work. They've undoubtedly helped Americans and businesses weather the crisis, but unemployment rates remain sky high and the pressure to stem them could drive consensus toward the employee retention tax credit. And finally, CQ Roll calls Mary Ellen McIntyre on an oversight hearing today about the firing of the watchdog for the Department of Health and Human Services. Christy Grimm, the Principal Deputy Inspector General for the Department of Health and Human Services Office of the Inspector General, testified today before the House Oversight and Reform Committee telling members of Congress that inspectors general need independence to properly do their job. The briefing comes after Trump had criticized Grimm for a report the office released last month that found that hospitals felt they were underprepared for the COVID-19 pandemic. Grimm acknowledged during the briefing that HHS had since taken steps to ensure hospitals had supplies, such as ventilators and protective equipment. Democrats have raised concerns after Trump dismissed or demoted five inspectors general across the federal government in recent weeks. IGs serve as independent watchdogs over federal agencies, and committee chairwoman Carolyn Maloney, a Democrat from New York, said the panel would seek to help maintain their independence. The HHS IG and all inspectors general are more important now than ever, as the committee with jurisdiction over the entire IG community. It is our responsibility to protect the IGs from political interference. Grimm said the HHS OIG currently has 14 open investigations regarding COVID-19 and could open more. One issue she highlighted is an uptick in attempts at fraud, often targeted towards older Medicare beneficiaries. And over the weekend, HHS released an 81-page congressionally mandated testing plan. The nation's capacity to conduct widespread coronavirus testing has been a key flashpoint throughout the pandemic. The plan maintains the administration's stance that states should build their own approach to a broad testing strategy. It says that states should aim to test 2% of their populations in May and June, and that less than 10% of all test results should be positive. The plan says that just over 300,000 tests per day should be sufficient for the U.S. That's roughly where the country is now, although public health experts say that's below where it should be. Democrats in Congress criticized the report, saying the administration doesn't have a serious plan for increasing testing. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Energy and Commerce Committee Chairman Frank Pallone, 
and help committee ranking member Patty Murray said in a joint statement that they still want to see explanations for how targets were set, how they will be met, and what would be done if they are not. But Republican Help Committee Chairman Lamar Alexander credited the administration for leaving governors in control of their approaches and said the federal government should provide guidance, supplies, and funds for contact tracing and to help scale up the number of available tests. That's it for May 26. For the entire CQ Roll Call Newsroom, I'm Jason Dick.